Good morning. This is the recording for worship for Sunday, October the 24th. As you can probably tell, I am not recording this during the actual worship service, as we had a bit of a microphone snafu, and the whole opening bit has me coming in and out, and it's just hard to hear me. So I wanted to set aside some special time for recording. Some important events that are coming up this week. On Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we have our fall council meeting here at the church. We would love for you to attend in person if for some reasons, due to it being at night or health issues or concerns, you can also join using Zoom. I will be sending my typical Tuesday update, which will include the Zoom link information. You can also call the office if you have any questions. On Sunday, we will be having our deacon calling. The list of prospective deacons are are on the back table in the sanctuary. If you have a chance to stop by this week and take a look at it, or take one home and look at it, please do. As we would like to make sure that before Sunday, that the list is complete and full. I want to pray that all of your weeks go well. And I hope to see you next Sunday in church or at the meeting on Wednesday. Have a blessed week. Our scripture reading today comes from the second letter to the Corinthians. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it's on page 820, but it's just one verse, so it's also in your bulletin. Paul wrote to them, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Blessed is the word. Amen. All right. I'd like to invite the young folks up, though. Where'd they all go? All right. I see, I see Maya. And maybe, maybe my daughter will join me. Grace. We'll see. Hey, Maya. All right. You want to read a book with me? All right. Yeah, you're welcome to come up, too. This book is called Faith the Cow, and it was written by Susan Bame Hoover. I don't think you guys get to see the pictures, but it's, it was drawn by a woman named Maggie Sorka, or Sikora. I'm not sure. This is a story of faith. Faith was a young Guernsey cow, a heifer. Faith was a special Guernsey heifer. She had a job to do. Faith was a heifer with a mission. See, this is Dan. Dan loved peace. Dan hated war. Dan West was ordered to serve in the army. But when he told the officer he wouldn't carry a gun and he couldn't kill, the army sent Dan home. Dan West. Yep, that's Dan West. He's very friendly looking, isn't he? That's faith, the cow. Dan West knew there was a better way to settle disagreements. 
there was a war in Spain. Instead of fighting, Dan West went to Spain to hand out food and supplies to families who had lost everything in the war. He felt sad for the children who lived where soldiers fought. He, fought, he felt sad for the children who had no milk to drink, for there was no milk to drink in Spain because the soldiers had killed all the cows. He felt sad for mothers and fathers and daughters and sons and grandparents who died in fighting. There's lots of cows, you're right. There are six, seven cows, there's one hiding. Dan West looked at his children, looked at the children in Spain. He thought of his own roly-poly babies at home. Yep, and she, her name is Janet. His name is Joel. They had plenty to eat. Dan West thought about his childhood home in Ohio where the Guernsey cows filled the big red barns. Dan West had an idea. He dreamed of giving one milk cow to a starving family. That one. That cow would feed many babies and children. And that cow would have babies. And these cows could go to feed more families. Hi, Grace. We're reading a story about, about Dan West and some cows. Yep, see? But where would Dan West get a cow? He wasn't a farmer anymore. Where would he get a ship to carry the cow? Oh, Gracie. There we go. I'm going to make sure that Maya can still see too. Maya! He wasn't a sailor. Where would he take care of the cow when she sailed across the ocean? He was not an animal doctor. Do you guys know what an animal doctor is called usually? No, not Dr. Chicken. Called a vet. <laughs> There's lots of people. Just one man, just one cow. That, that was just, wouldn't be enough. So Dan West began to look for people. See, he's thinking about the cow. Dan West began to look for people who could help him with make his dream come true. Dan West told a group of farmers. Oh, one second, can I... Can I finish the page first? Dan, about the starving children in the world. When Dan West finished, Virgil Mock stood up. Virgil said, have faith, Dan West. Dan West said, I have faith, Virgil. I believe God is telling us to help. We need to send heifers to give milk for the children, but I can't do it myself. I need help. Well, we'll, talk. And we'll talk about that later. Virgil Milk Mock said again, have faith, Dan West. Dan West said, I do have faith, Virgil. I trust God will make my dream come true, even though it seems impossible. Virgil Mock said again, have faith, Dan West. I mean, have faith. Faith, my Guernsey cow. There's faith. Then another farmer, and another, whose red barn was full of Guernsey cows, gave a heifer to Dan West. Then another farmer gave a heifer, and another, and another, until Dan West had 17 cows. Yep, there are three, because the first three heifers were named 
faith, hope, and charity. Faith and the 16 heifers came to church one Sunday, and the pastor prayed over the cows and laid his hands on them and blessed them and sent them into the world to help families. Faith was no longer just one heifer with a mission. Now there was 17 heifers with a mission. Faith the Guernsey rode to Mobile, Alabama in the back of a big old pickup truck. Does he look like... There's a cow. Yeah, Faith having fun on that truck. Yep, yep, monkey agrees. And this one. And then she sailed to the island of Puerto Rico, and where she one. found a happy home. This one. Yep, she's coming down off the, off the ship. There were 10 children in Faith's new family. They loved their cow, and they learned to take good care of her. That's so cute. Yep, that's, her, that's Faith's new friend. It was the children's job to feed Faith and protect her and to keep her clean. Faith took good care of her new family, too, and she gave the children lots of milk. The whole family was so happy for a cow. For the first time ever, they owned something valuable, a cow, and no one was hungry. Soon, Faith had a calf. There she is, a little, little baby cow. The family was very proud. They could help someone else just like Dan helped them. They gave the calf to a neighbor. That's the baby, that's and Faith, they gave the baby to a neighbor. See? And the, the neighbors needed help too. Faith's family taught the neighbors how to take good care of the calf. Someday that calf would feed another family. Look at all those happy cows and people. Dan West said to the farmers, Heifer Project, called, sorry, said, and the farmers called their project Heifer Project. Because it was easier to say Heifer Project than say, a group of farmers. Yeah. It was easier to say a group of farmers who give their young cows to Dan West so he could send them around the world to help feed hungry children. That's a lot to say. Heifer Project began to send more and more animals to feed people. There were rabbits and goats and what are these? Chickens. And draft horses and 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 geese and ducks and pigs, and even honeybees. Honey yeah. Oh, and fish. I almost forgot the fish. They still fish. Just one person can make a difference. Can just, I'm sorry, can just one person make a difference? Can just one person with an idea help yeah. feed hungry children all around the world? Yes. One person can make what the world a better place. That person just needs a little bit of, I don't know their names. They're just lots of children. That one person just needs a little bit of faith. Faith. Moo. All righty. So, girls, can you help me with something? I thought this would be fun for you, for you ladies. This, this is how we raise money to help, help send cows and sheep and goats and chickens and honeybees and fish. We put quarters in here. So can you, these are quarters people brought today. Can you help me put them in the silo? We call this the silo. There we are, we just drop them on in. Yep, you can help Gracie here. You know what Gracie, why don't you come stand over here and I'll give you a batch of quarters. Yep, come on over here Grace. Yep, just go ahead and throw them on in. And these quarters are gonna help feed other little children all around the world.
There we are. Well, girls, as we're continuing to put in, we're going to have a little prayer. We're going to say, dear God, we pray that all these quarters will go and help feed people so they have ducks and geese and cows and sheep and all kinds of animals that will help them make their lives a little better. Each one of these quarters is a little prayer to make this world a little nicer and that we have faith just like Dan. Amen. I'll make them up. Yay! Yay. Is that all the quarters? Oh, Grace has a few in there still. I have no idea how many. Two more. Okay, one, two. Uh-oh, that's okay. It'll probably, there we go. Thank you, girls. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, you all have a good day. Yeah, you want to look at the pictures? You can look at the pictures. Thank you so much, girls. So, as many of you probably remember, Last summer, we worked through all five sections of the first book of Corinthians. It was a five-part series. And I seriously considered just skipping the last chapter. After all, it didn't really fit. The other sections were all about fixing problems that they were having. But the, the last section, it was just business. You know, it's like calling up your friend and giving them advice, and then right before you hang up, you say, oh, by the way, having a barbecue on Monday, you're invited. It's like including the barbecue part. But there's actually some things in there. Just as a reminder, Paul has a little bit of business. He, he lets them know, hey, Corinthians, you should check out Stephanos of Achaia good guy. Timothy, he's coming to visit you soon. And Priscilla, Aquila, and all the other Christians here, they send their greetings to you. But he opens it up with this piece of business. This is 16, 1 through 4. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatians to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'm sorry, when I arrive, I will give them letters of introduction so that the men you approve can take the money to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable, I'll go with them, and they will accompany me. Now, this collection actually starts nearly a decade before this letter is written. Because there is a famine in Jerusalem, in Judea, and things are especially hard there for Christians. Why? Well, it was political. So if you were a Christian in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, then the province of Asia, chances were that you were living in a town or a city in which the ruling council was probably worshiping, I don't know, Caesar, Augustus, Juno, Jupiter, have your pick. 
For them, these Christians were just oddballs. And so for the most part, early Christians in these Greek areas were just ignored. That wasn't hard and fast rule. That it changed according to where you were and as time proceeded. But in that day, life was pretty easy for Christians outside of Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, they were seen as rebels. After all, Christianity is very different than the worship of Jupiter or Juno or Zeus or any of them. But it's very close to Judaism. And those in power in Jerusalem did not like seeing this rebel group of Christians. These not-quite-Jews, these ones that worked against the power that kept them in power, the temple. So when resources became scarce during a famine, their resources were withheld from them. The Christians didn't get any extra help. This bothered Paul and Barnabas. And so they went around to churches outside of Judea and raised money to help support them. The famine came to an end, but the collection kept going because the mother church needed the support. After all, Jerusalem was where Jesus had brought the disciples. It was where the Holy Spirit came down to them on Pentecost. It was where they met whenever they needed to discuss big business for the church. So they continued to collect. Now, growth of those outside churches was different than the churches inside Jerusalem in another important way. In Jerusalem, it was a gathering of, well, not the top class of society. Laborers, zealots, rebels. These were people who were unhappy with the Jewish system as it was. They tended not to be the wealthiest. But out and about in many places, there were wealthy Gentile Christians who were supporting their communities. Like Lydia, the merchant who sells purple dye. Paul meets her when he goes to, well, modern-day Greece. She's able to make sure that her community is cared for because she has the finances to do so. I mean, that's the way the church was set up. The early Christians, after all, they all pulled their money together. Those who had supported those who had not, and those who had not supported others who had not. Paul just broadened the idea, saying... It should be everyone, not just those in your local congregation, but those in the entire church. But the Corinthians were not playing ball. They were okay sharing among themselves. But while the other Greek congregations were sending funds to Jerusalem, they withheld. Paul opens his critique by pointing to a northern sister congregations. This is the beginning of the chapter 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of severe trials, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. 
They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. As I said, persecution was happening elsewhere. And I have a sneaking suspicion I know why it was so bad in Macedonia. This is just guesstimations because I couldn't find any actual sources that talked about this. But Philippi, which is in Macedonia, and Thessalonica, also in Macedonia, were not only major early Christian churches. These were the first churches Paul started when he came to Europe. But they were also areas in which the Roman army would settle their retired soldiers. So while Christians in some random place like Galatia in the middle of the continent, in the middle of now, now Turkey, didn't really matter too much, putting Christians next to war folks who worshipped Augustus Caesar, who supported their armies, having a bunch of peace-loving, not-worshipping-your-God folks next to them probably did not mix well. Philippi was also the area where Paul managed to, well, get a lot of people angry. He did, after all, free a little girl from being afflicted with, they call it a Pythonian spirit, a fortune-telling spirit. And when he was put into jail for doing so, that's when there was the earthquake that broke him out and he uh, converted the jailer. He was not well-liked there. These churches had few wealthy members, and those that did found themselves losing money because of their faith. Paul actually uses those words. He, he, it's translated as extreme poverty. The word is bathos. I might not say this right. Patoke. Bathos means deep. But not just deep as in I'm going to go jump in the deep side of the pool. But immensely crushing deep. Like bottom of the ocean deep. If you've heard this word before, it's like bathosphere. It's those metal balls they use to dive to the very deepest parts of the ocean. Even modern submarines, or modern submersibles they use for research, they look like a submarine on the outside, but the center of it is just a bathosphere because they're the only things that can hold up to that depth. The other word, um, it's hard to say PT next to each other. Patikoamai <laughs> means not just poverty, but destitute, begging. So while the NIV is correct in saying it's extreme poverty, I think a better way to describe it, it is crushing, they are crushingly destitute. They are not in a situation where they can afford to really give away much of any money. But they beg. They beg to be allowed to do so. It brings me back to the story of Jesus when he is standing in the temple and he sees the widow go and drop two coins. And he points her out and says she is giving more than all these rich men who are dropping pounds of gold in. She drops in two leptas. That's the smallest coin in the Roman Empire. The Greeks actually made it. The Romans didn't. One lepta was the equivalent of six minutes of work for a day laborer. 
two coins if we go by minimum wage in Ohio, she dropped the equivalent of a buck 76, which is, sounds like nothing to us even today. But as a widow, she could expect to receive no more income for the rest of her life. What money she had was all the money she would ever have. So Jesus commends her generosity for her faith, for her obedience to God. Just as these men and women of Philippi and Thessalonica and the other churches of Macedonia are doing, they're giving when they can't even afford it. Not only do they give, they give extravagantly. The word that is usually translated down in this case, this love version, is, uh, it comes to us in the English version, the word charity. And we think of charity, we think of, well, Heifer Project International, for people ringing bells on, uh, you know, it's coming up to Christmas, you're going to have to start dodging Santa's. I mean, give them money, just don't get hit by the bell. But the word charity in Old English, as it comes down from the Latin, which comes from the word love in here, because they, that's how they chose to translate it down, means Christian love in its highest manifestation. I love words. I love what they can convey. Christian love in its highest manifestation. Now, the Corinthian church, on the other hand, is not hurting for money. Corinth is the, about the biggest major trading route in the area. If you wanted to go east and west in the Roman Empire, you went through Corinth. All the goods went through Corinth. They were wealthy. They were probably the wealthiest church out there. They could have been like the rich men and have just piled gold into the system and it wouldn't have hurt them at all. And that still would have been better what they did, which was nothing. Actually, it was worse than nothing. They promised to do something and then they did nothing. They are like those scenes when I took the, little, the girls out and we threw seeds around. They're like the seeds that landed on the road or in the weeds. Ones that... Maybe they sprout up for just a moment before they are choked out. They kept back their money. So Paul writes a letter. Not this one, though. There's a missing letter. We call it the severe letter because that's what Paul calls it. It's lost to the ages. And all we know is that Paul was, let's just say upset, very upset. He was very, very upset. Upset enough that when he wrote this second letter, he actually backtracks what he says in the last one because he realizes he went too far. He was just too mad. And that's saying something in a day when you couldn't just type up an angry letter, but you had to write it with quill and ink on parchment after you've already written a copy onto a clay tablet. He was angry enough that he was angry all the way through. He sent them that letter, and then he sends 2 Corinthians. And in here, he builds them up first. He tells them 
you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love which we have kindled in you. But then he twists and he pushes them not to just stop with what gifts they've accepted, but to live with the gift of Christian charity as their brothers and sisters have. He says, see that you also excel in the gift of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test your sincerity in your love by comparing it to the earnest of others. Finally, he reminds the believers of how Jesus lived his life. That was our passage today. By reminding them that Jesus had given up everything. Jesus could have come down as a rich young prince. Jesus could have lived as a wealthy man in comfort. But instead he rejected the comfort and easy life. And walked in this world a poor man. Making it from day to day. So that he could bring us a wealth beyond compare. The promise of salvation. The promise of the kingdom of heaven. So Paul implores them. Now he cajoles them. He not only points out what others are doing and saying, look at them. He actually goes on to say, and guess what? I'm sending Titus over. We haven't really encountered Titus. He's a Crete. He's a Cretan. He's from Crete. And after Paul converts him, he becomes one of Paul's followers. And he becomes the person that Paul sends in whenever there's a problem. He's the troubleshooter. I guess the early Christian enforcer, but probably not so violent sounding. Paul's actually, I mean, Titus is actually the one who drops off the severe letter before going on to his next task. Now, the end of the story is that Paul goes on to Corinth. Titus comes back down from up north. And the two of them collect the money that the Corinthians finally set aside, and Titus takes it to Jerusalem. All things work out in the end. This is the part where I would start telling you the story of Dan, but frankly, you've already heard the story. It's a nice thing about having a kid's book that tells the story already. You all know who he is. See, Dan lived a life where there was plenty, or at least relative plenty. And when he went over to Spain during the Spanish Civil War, if you remember your history, if not, Civil War in Spain happened between 1936 and 1939, right before the, great, the World War II broke out. And it was terrible in ways that, well, World War I was terrible, World War II was terrible. Now take the two of those, their technology, mix them together, and that's how you get the Spanish Civil War. It had the worst of everything in it. And he looked around, and he saw green fields. And he couldn't understand why these kids weren't able to eat. I mean, he understood. He understood what was happening to the cattle. But he was looking around and saying that there should be no reason. Only because people are killing people is this like this. And that's when he came up with his idea.
in this world. We're the Corinthians. Now, I know none of us here are Jeff Bezos, unless he's in a costume and really did a good job today and looks like someone who normally attends Mark. <laughs> no, you're not Bezos? Okay. If you are, just drop a check in the back. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. I make a terrible joke at someone's expense. God throws me off track. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Olivia's giving me that smile. Okay. But, I mean, let's face it. When we look to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, our brothers and sisters in India, around the world, we have a lot more quite often. And so, Dan did what the Corinthians failed to do at first. He found a way to take what we had plenty of and to send it on to those who needed it. We all know the old saying, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him the fish, feed him for life. Dan didn't like that as much. I mean, in theory, he liked it somewhat, but there was a problem. He had been to where the man who had no food was, and there were no fishing poles, and there was no bait. And so he figured, oh, I've got to bring him that too. And so that's where he came up with his motto, not a cup, but a cow. It's not enough to just teach someone it's not enough to just give them something they needed to help. The gift would be to help them help themselves and give them all the tools and ability they need. Now, Heifer Project has gone a lot farther than cows. I mean, as I said with the kids, you know, they do cows and, and bunnies and goats and sheep and honeybees and fish. I don't know how the fish one works exactly, whether they stock streams or lakes or they set up hydroponic farms, I don't know, or hydro farms. But they also now work on making sure there's clean water, there's resources that get clean power. They try to help the communities by giving them the tools and ability so that they can raise themselves. I might read his quote this week. Forgot last week. Our communities need to be constantly threatened by an epidemic of love for God, which I will say is, doesn't quite fit as well in this day and age, but it's the quote they picked. Of love for God, the infection which spreads from little groups of devoted souls. So, while I hope we are not like the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and the other Macedonians, let's be like them. Let's be like Dan, willing to give. To give whatever we are able to. To give even if it hurts a bit. Because that's what Christ calls us to. To such extravagant love. To, well, as it charity means, to Christian love in its highest manifestation. 
Have faith. Thank you. He doesn't understand that it's the cow. But the bigger joke is that it took until Dan West to figure out how to make sure these kids got food. The, story, the answer was right in front of people for ages. So, let's all have a little more faith. A little more faith that God will figure things out. And a little more faith that God will open our eyes to fix problems. Have faith. Have faith.